and that was okay with her because sometimes in life the best things or the things that she was most proud of in her life were spontaneous and God was able to work through that and sometimes God doesn't take our plans he doesn't let us establish plans because that would um, kind of obstruct what he's doing in our lives and so that was the theme for me throughout the week even though I didn't go in thinking that um, that what I would be doing would be spontaneously impacting the kingdom of Christ. And it was a difficult missions trip for me because a lot of times we go into places thinking that we're going to use our gifts to impact the community of Christ. And for me, I was able to lead worship, and that was a blessing for, um, it was a blessing for me and for our group to be able to lead worship for um, our devotions. But the majority of my time was spent doing stuff I don't know how to do, like adjusting an auto-refractor or pouring concrete and mixing it. And a lot of times I'd end up going in a station like concrete and figure, hey, I'm good at this. I can pour concrete. I can lift this stuff, and it's it's pretty good. And then the the next day I'd be an evangelist, and I'm like, oh, I'm horrible at this. But God's still working through me through that, and I'm able to um, move past that and... One day I'd be working in evangelism with kids, and I'm pretty good at this, and then I get moved over to washing the kids' hair, and I'd dunk their entire back with water, and they'd get really upset with me, and it's just like, I'm done with this. This is my last time washing hair. I'm so bad at this. And then, then, and then I'd move over to optometry, and people would tell me about how impactful it is for them to get a new pair of glasses and just be able to see for the first time in their lives. And so for me, it's just going out there, putting yourself out there so you can collide with God. And your plans might not be on the path to collide with God. So that's why sometimes, not to discredit that you can feel called to God, but that sometimes your calling happens when you're already putting yourself out there. And yeah, that was what I learned from my trip to Honduras. And measure of what we could do and like Nathaniel said um, the things that God gave to us were things we didn't expect Uh, they were better than what we expected and God taught us in so many ways about our theme and our theme while we were there in Honduras was surrender and about two months ago when we introduced the idea of going to Honduras with the congregation and asking you to begin praying for us and also at the same time we talked about vacation Bible school and about how this is our mission. Vacation Bible School is our mission here in Orange County. And the wheelchair mission extends our ministry, not just from Orange County, but also around the world. And we talked about surrender back then, about how God has given us so much to share, and God has given us so much that we can sacrifice and surrender for the good of other people, that not one thing we do in that way ever goes to waste. And that God has given us each an opportunity, whether you were here praying, whether you supplied finances, whether you were working on the bake sales, whether you were encouraging us through your words, whether you'd already been before, whatever you did, just being part of this congregation, you were sharing in what we got to do in Honduras. And the opportunity for us to go was a living parable to all of us. 
It was life more than we could have expected it to be, but it took on so many dimensions. I was sharing with some that I knew quite a bit about Honduras because of the other teams that had gone in the past. But all I knew was up in my head. It wasn't until I actually went that I understood it in my heart. And it went from just like black and white to color. It went from one-dimensional to three-dimensional. And instead of just knowledge, it became something that became part of my life. And one of the times that I got to share in the devotion, um, I shared the story that maybe most of us are familiar with. And it's the story of the Good Samaritan. And to me, as I was studying this story, and as I got to share it in devotion, I felt like this was a prime example of how God, how Jesus, wants us to share and to surrender together. So we're going to read together uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. It's in Luke chapter 10, verse 33. And we have some Bibles there in the middle aisle, and you can pass them to the outside. And if you don't have a Bible, or you just want a new Bible, you can take that home as our gift. But we have a, um, a verse there that we want to look at in Luke, in the New Testament, the third chapter, uh, the third book of the New Testament, Luke chapter 10, verse 33 through 37. And so once you open it, you can read it with me, or if you want to read up on the board, you can read that as well. Luke chapter 10, 33 through 37. Let's read it together. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return... I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have made. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. We know, we know this story of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan has inspired countless people to do good acts and great deeds. But the context of this story is a story that Jesus told to the religious people, to the priests and to the Levites. And he was telling them this story, this parable, as if they were in the story. But they weren't the good guys. In fact, they were actually the bad guys. Because there was this man who had been beaten up on the road between Jerusalem and Samaria. And this man had been laying on the side of the road hurt, and a priest saw him. And a priest didn't want to get involved. And so the priest walked around him and went on his way, and different reasons might have been for that, why the priest didn't want to get involved. If he touched him and the man was dead, he would become defiled and not be able to do his work. And so maybe he thought, you know, it's too important for me to do the work of God. I better not touch him. And so the Levite came around, and he also was a worker at the, what we would call the church at the temple, and he saw the man, and maybe he had seen the priest's example, but he thought to himself, you know, I'm doing God's work. I already do enough of God's work. Maybe somebody else will come and take care of this man. And he walked away. And as I thought about this story, I realized how much of me is in that priest and that Levite. As a pastor, one of the things that I had shared was how I feel too often like a professional Christian. During our training uh, for Honduras, 
we were asked, what was our one prayer request that we would ask everyone to pray for for us? And my prayer request was that I would really love Jesus. That I would really love Jesus. Because I know that when I first became a Christian, that love was palpable. I could touch it. I could feel it. I enjoyed it. But as the years have gone on, I noticed that it's sort of become very habitual. I do it, and I do it, and I, it's all the right stuff. I know what to say. I know how to act. I know the story. And yet, at the same time, too often, it's, it's just become rote. It's just become habit. And I really needed to feel, and I really wanted to experience that fresh love for Jesus again. And I could see how I am like the priest and the Levite, and it's very easy for me to say, you know what, I, I work for God all the time, so why make the special effort? You know, I study the Bible all the time, so, so why do I have to live that? And I know that that was a fault. And I knew that God was trying to help me to get out of that. And while I was in Honduras, I feel like God began to answer that prayer. I would have loved it if he had sort of come down from heaven and hit me with a lightning bolt, let me still live, but um, it sort of charged me up again with that lightning bolt and, and give me an extra zest of life. But instead, I know what he's done is he's planted a seed in my heart instead. And he wants me to be in that place where that seed can be watered and that seed can be tended to because I don't know what that seed is, but I know that God has put a seed in me. And even now, my family and I, were talking about going back to Honduras next year. And possibly, um, they're also starting a new ministry in Belize. We don't know if God will lead us there, but that's our desire. And it's our desire to invite you to participate in God's work, wherever that is. It may be here at Harvest. It may be where you live. It may be at your work. But it will be somewhere. It may be in Honduras. It may be in Asia. It may be in Europe. It may be in Africa. It may be in South America. But God has a plan for each of us to get out of the rut of living a religious life and living a life with Jesus inside coming out. And so Jesus uses the Samaritan to show the priest and the Levite how to really live, how to really experience life. And this story really would have upset the priests and the Levites. It really would upset the Jews because they were enemies of the Samaritans. They didn't like the Samaritans and vice versa. But the hero of this story wasn't a Jew. It would have been nice if Jesus said, you know, and another Jew came along and cared for the Samaritan because that's still something that wouldn't have happened. But instead, Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero. And the Samaritan comes along, this enemy of the Jews, and he cares for a Jew, and he touches him. I think that was definitely one of the most meaningful feelings that we had when we were in Honduras, was touching the children. Yeah, we, we didn't use gloves when we were getting out the lice. We were just told to be very careful and make sure that we washed our hands afterwards. It was so important for us to have physical contact with the children, to touch them, to hold them, to hug them, to let them feel the love of Jesus through us. And this is what the Samaritan did. He touched the man. He didn't put on gloves. The man was probably bloody. He wrapped him in bandages and then he poured oil on him, and oil would help in the healing. He poured wine on him that would help to cleanse the wound. He put him on his own donkey, put him in his own car, his own bus. He used his own money. He used two silver coins, which was equal to two days' wages. How much money do you make in two days? 
And he used that to care for this man. And not only that, but he had faith. And he took him to an inn to care for him. And then he told the innkeeper, I don't know what's going to cost after this. You may have to spend more money, but even if you do, you can come and you can put the bill to me and I'll pay you. You can trust me. I'll do that. And this man got involved. And God wants us to be involved. And the reason he wants us to be involved is not just for the good of those in need. He wants us to be involved for our good. He wants us to be involved for what we were made for. We were made to be merciful, just as people are made to receive mercy. In his book, Magnificent Defeat, author Frederick Buchner says this, and he's talking about the Good Samaritan. And he's talking to us, and he says, as we travel around this world, this life, every person that we meet is the man in the ditch because everyone we meet is half dying for need of us to be really alive. Not just half alive. He needs our help, our healing to be really alive. Not just half alive. We need to help and heal him. His need for mercy is matched by our need to be merciful. It is not just for his sake that we come to his rescue. It is also for our sakes. This is what God has given to us. An opportunity to have our own genuine needs met. The need to be merciful by knowing that everybody out there needs mercy. Everybody needs to be treated with respect. Everybody needs a touch. Everybody needs forgiveness. Everybody needs a smile. Everybody needs hope. Everybody needs to know you went a little bit out of your way to go and be with them. And this was the great blessing that we had. When we're there in Honduras, you look at the Honduran team, you look at the World Gospel Outreach team, you go, why do they need us? You know, they're the professionals. They're really good at this. But they say, no, no, we need you. When I was um, participating in the dental aspect, um, all you do is you hold a tray for the dentist. Okay, that's it. You hold the tray, and, um, and you also hold the trash can, okay, because they don't have the thing to suck out the, um, the saliva. And so whenever they need to spit, you just move the trash can. Nathaniel said we're basically glorified tables, right? We're just living tables. All we do is, is we move, and then we get out of the way, and then we move the trash can. But when we were done, I remember when I was done, the dentist looked at me and she said, I couldn't have done it without you. I thought, no, that's not true. But then I realized, no, it was true. Because they're interested in knowing why. Why would you come all this way from America to be a glorified table? Why would you come all the way from America to hold a trash can? For me, I did have the privilege, and I was helping with dentistry. I was the very first girl that was there. I noticed that she was very nervous. And so I was talking to the nurse, and she said, oh, yeah, she was so nervous this morning. Uh, she just kept crying, so we couldn't do the filling in her mouth. And so I said to the dentist, can I pray for her? And she said, sure, that'd be great. And so I prayed for the little girl. And then as we were going through the procedure, she started to cry, and tears were coming down her eyes. And I said to her, and I said, I stopped, and the dentist translated, and so I said this. I said, honey, I want you to look into the eyes of the doctor. 
And I want you to look into her eyes the whole time she's working on you. Because when you look into your eyes, what you're going to see is love. I want you to look into the doctor's eyes. Because when you look into her eyes, you're going to see love. And that's God's love. And no one who loves you ever hurts you. No one who loves you ever hurts you. And she made it through the rest of her treatment. She got her new feelings. She's able to look in the mirror and see her new teeth. And God used this dentist. And God used the team in so many different ways. My wife, um, this was her first full-time mission trip, and I know that God really blessed her and blessed us as she was part of our team. And so Carol's going to come up here now and share a little bit about her experience in Honduras. So when people ask me um, what, uh, how, would you, how was your trip? And so I would say, oh, it's amazing. Um, another word I would use is unbelievable. But I think the one that really hits is um, indescribable. Because unless you've been there or been on the missions trip, you really can't describe um, what it was like. And uh, one of the things that we did during our um, training here in um, Orange County was uh, the leader, Terry, she asked, um, what are some fears that you have going into this trip? And so she, she asked us again when we were in Honduras because we never really um, said much about it. And so one of the things um, I thought about was safety. And uh, we mentioned it a little bit before, um, but um, Honduras is known for its um, violence. Um, so, you know, everywhere you go, there's policemen with their rifles, and there's armed guards. When we were at the church, there were policemen, like, around the church. And even where the compound was, there were 10-foot-high walls and barbed wire all over the place, and we're in a gated community, so you go through two gates with guards. Um, but when I was there, I never felt fear um, about my safety. I, I just knew that God was there and um, that he was protecting us. And the second thing that I was concerned about was my health. Um, as some of you may know, that um, I have bipolar. And so when I'm tired or um, stressed, sometimes I can get... Um, manic. So I was a little um, concerned about that, and I, I didn't know what would happen, but um, during the week I was fine, and even though I was tired, you know, I just tried to take it easy when we were at the, the house. And then the third thing was um, just the fear of witnessing. This was just one of those things I did mention um, when we were having our team meetings. Um, and so I said, well, you know, I I'm not real comfortable evangelizing. I don't share regularly with um, the people around me. And, um, and what do you know? I was the, that was the first thing I did on Monday. So, um, and so when they were mentioning, like, you know, what we're going to do the next day, I just, I just thought, okay, they're going to tell me to do evangelism. And so sure enough, um, Terry said, okay, you're doing evangelism. My heart just sank. I was like, okay, God, you're, um, you're going to put me there on the hot seat first day. Um, so I did evangelism all day long, and um, 
it was just tiring, but it was good, and because um, I just constantly talking the whole day long, all day long. And um, but I had a really good translator. Her name was Gloria, and um, and I think all the people that we uh, work with as translators, um, we just felt that they were spirit led, and like when we were like questioning, you know, is this person a Christian? What do you think? You know, they say, yeah, I think she's he or she is a Christian. And so that was helpful because, like, in the very beginning, I didn't know how to read um, their, their body language. And especially not knowing the culture very well um, is hard to know. And uh, what was neat was when we were doing our um, training at home, um, one of the uh, men said, um, uh, when you go over to Honduras, they um, believe in God. They believe in Jesus. They believe in the Bible. So you, you can start at that point. Because I, I had shared before when I was um, witnessing at UCI, is like they don't believe in the Bible, and you have to prove the Bible. And so you know, I, I did mention that. And it's like, you know, this is a Catholic country, and they, they already know that. It's a given. And so that was encouraging. And, and I experienced that when... I was sharing the gospel, and um, and when we asked for prayers for those who were Christians, oftentimes the, the prayer request was about jobs, because almost half the country are jobless, um, and many of the men are gone. Um, I think they said that there's more people from Honduras outside of the country than inside, um, always looking for jobs, trying to support their family, and and most of the people in country are the women. And um, another prayer request they had was salvation for their family, so um, that was encouraging. And one person who stuck out in my mind was this um, older gentleman named Luis, and um, he was. Um, so I shared the gospel with him through the translator, and um, at the end of our prayer. I just saw him crying, and I knew that, you know, his uh, salvation was genuine. And uh, so when we finished um, uh, talking about it, he, he was, like, happy and said, when I go home, I want to share the gospel with my wife and bring her to the, um, the brigade the next day. And so that was just really encouraging that, here this was a brand new Christian. He was already re- ready to share it with, you know, somebody he loved. So that was one of my highlights of the week. As we continued through the week, um, and we had this amazing opportunity to share with each other, uh, one of the things that I realized was I was there because of all the others who had already gone before me. And when I was talking to Terry, who's the leader of uh, Christ Lutheran Church's brigade on teams, that she was saying that until Harvest came two years ago, it was starting to become heavy work. It was getting hard. But when Harvest went two years ago, it began to revive her again and just give her energy to do it. And so, you know, we really, our team, this third team is on the coattails of the second team who went last year and on their coattails of the team who went the year, and also with CLC, who has gone many years. And, and I want to end this message with a challenge for all of you to think about what does God have that you would love to have in your heart too? 
You know, the Good Samaritan is a great story, and it gives us opportunity to give. And when we hear it, it can be very exciting to say, oh, you know, I want to do this now. But the, the real test isn't whether we just do it now. The real test is whether we'll do it always. And I know for myself that's the challenge. Because when we go, it is, it is a sacrifice to go. It is a sacrifice to try to, to give of ourselves. But the Good Samaritan, he sacrificed. He was willing And he understood that he was going to get far more by sacrificing than he could get any other way. There was no other way to get the blessings of God than to sacrifice. Um, Warren Wearsby speaks of the Good Samaritan, and he says this. He says, we may read this passage and think of only the high cost of caring, but it is far more costly not to care. The priest and the Levite lost far more by their neglect than Samaritan did by his concern. They lost the opportunity to become better men and good stewards of what God has given them. They could have been a good influence in a bad world. God gives each of us an opportunity to be a good Samaritan here in Orange County, when we go to Mexicali, when we have opportunities for mission trips, where you live, at your work. God gives us opportunities. But inside of your bulletin, um, there's a sticker there with a picture of the world. And I want you to keep that sticker, and I want you to put it someplace where you'll see it regularly. And I want that sticker to remind you of the world, first of all. And the Bible tells us that God loves the world. And so when you see that sticker, it can be a reminder to you that God loves you. But also that we ought to see the world from God's perspective, that he loves the world. And then secondly, to remember when you see the sticker, to pray for the world, to pray for this world that God's grace will continue to grow in our hearts, that God would give us a love for all the lost. And thirdly, as that sticker, it might be a reminder to you to pray, like, God, do you want me to go somewhere else in this world? Is there a place you want me to go where I can serve? Maybe next year when the opportunity comes around, you'll think, yes, I'm willing to take a chance and go even to Honduras or maybe to Belize or maybe to Southeast Asia or maybe to South America or Africa or somewhere else. But let that sticker be a reminder to you to pray and to ask God to give you a view of the world in the same way that God has of it. World Gospel Outreach has this saying at the bottom of their their front on their webpage, on their homepage, And I think this is just a great challenge for me and a great challenge for us. And I found it to be truly true. But it says there, come serve for a week. Be changed for a lifetime. All you need is a willing heart. All you need is a willing heart. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us, your goodness, and your grace. We thank you for the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus gives to us to show us, Lord, that when we care for others, when we share and when we surrender and when we sacrifice, we get back far more than anything money could ever buy. We get far more than we could ever earn. We get far more than we could ever deserve. But we receive the things that you give to us by your grace. Lord, you are so mighty. And I pray, Lord, that for each of us, we would be willing 
to have that fresh love for you, eager to know you, willing to serve you. Lord, give your servant, give your servants, give your people, give us a willing heart. In Jesus we pray. Amen.